Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. Today, we are starting something new, something different. We are reading the graphic novel White Sand, the White Sand Omnibus, to be specific, since uh, there are many changes since the, the first three came out. We read the prologue and chapters one, two, and three, wherein some people from the dark side of this planet come to the light side, uh, which I mean, sounds very The Force, kind of Star Wars-y, but it's not like that. And then uh, we meet Kenton, who is a sand master, though not a, a very powerful one, I guess. And uh, we see his his struggles to try to become one of the highest level of, uh, of sand master. And just as he achieves his goal, things go horribly awry. That's probably enough for now. We're going to get into much more detail later. So I'm Data, and with me is... Jack. Jamie. And Joe. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. Rusted right up on the gold and shine. Visions of the ancient divine. Far beyond the brittle bounds of time, I dream. Power in the voice of family. Trials of competence and agony. Pass ahead already So yeah, something something new for us, everyone. I don't even. I mean, I know Dak uh, has a lot of ex- experience with comics. I don't know what Jamie's experience with comics is, or even that much about how many comics uh, Joe is into, sp- generally speaking. So if you guys, when you're giving your thoughts, if you want to talk about art or whatever else uh, that is, you know, other than just story, please make sure you feel free. So uh, before we get into it, that song that you just heard, uh, the song for this book is called "Soul of Sand" by Miracle of Sound. It is the Dune song. Or the song that he wrote inspired by Dune. I guess I shouldn't make it sound like it's an mm. official song for Dune or something. But yeah, yep. very so, apropos. Uh, yep. Enjoy, enjoy that one for uh, however long we're in White Sand. So, what did you guys think of these the four, I guess, chapters? This is a lot of fun. Like, it's nice to do something new. Yeah, I've I've read plenty of comics in my time, so it's it's fun to just sort of get into this, and especially when it comes to oh, you know, we get to the first like the first couple of pages and realize, oh, this is a character we've met several times before. So mm-hmm. now we've got an official image that we can put to Chris. So that was interesting. Title, 100% accurate. Those sands, pretty white. <laughs> yeah, I having having come off a whole bunch of books and now reading, I, I, I guess this has sort of just opened my eyes to a, a bit more of the differences between comics and prose novels that I hadn't really noticed before with the others, because I'm expecting this, I, I sort of went into this expecting this is going to be dense, like Sanderson's other work with a whole bunch of you know names and locations and stuff like that. And then I realized just how much in the previous books we relied on like the characters' names being constantly in the text to keep track of who's who. I got to a point and realized, okay, I know there are two, like these, like two scientists, professor guys traveling with Chris. Don't know their names. They've mentioned them before. I've lost it. So I have to wait for them to bring it back up again. So so that was the thing. It took me ages as well to realize, oh, so the day side and dark side languages are actually have different color text and outlines on the t- on the speech bubbles. What, I, f- I forget which is which, but one of them is black and one of them is blue. So I thought mm-hmm. that was a no- that was a neat little touch. Just a really subtle way of showing, all right, different languages. Because at first I think I might have just thought that was a printing error. But as for the story itself, really like it. I love this new power set. I don't know if I quite fully understand it yet, but I'm sure there'll be more explanation for it down down the line. But yeah, this whole using the sand to like 
make ribbons that you can use to do stuff. I'm just like, that is so cool. I love it. And yeah, the fight, the fight with the bug monster that Kenton had during his trial, I thought that was super cool. Uh, and then heartbreaking as we, as you know, the story has, oh, the, the entire tribe got slaughtered except for this one survivor. I'm like, I had a feeling it was coming, but seeing it is a bit, yeah. Mm. Again, it's it's another one of those, oh, like reading it is one thing, seeing it is another. It's it's just a different experience, I guess. Not necessarily one's better than the other, but very different. So, that yeah. No, it's like on the on the whole, though, this is a, this is a lot of fun. I, I'm fascinated by this planet, one side perpetually in light and one side perpetually in the darkness. Even though from the map, I think I was talking with Jamie about this before we started. It's like we're not probably not going to see a lot of dark side because there's no map included of it. Right. Not a good sign. No. But yeah, no. Interesting story. Interesting powers. I like the characters. I like Chris's bodyguard dude. Yeah. This, this is fun. I'm looking forward to more. It's funny to me that you mentioned the uh, the two professors and not being able to tell them apart because. In the prose version, which I, it's been a while since I read that, but there, so I, I may not be reference it all that much while we're talking, but you'll probably hear references now and then. But you know, those they're the same two characters there, and even though their names are said every time, I still don't remember which one is which because okay. uh, they're always like sniping back and forth and stuff. So it's a it's a whole thing. And then I read in, and I I'm I'm trying to find there it is. I'm trying to find the wiki article where I read it, but apparently in the first volume and maybe it's something they fixed in the uh, I'll have to pull out my original volume to compare it to the omnibus. But it says that like the two professors speech bubbles occasionally like got swapped and like attributed to the wrong one of them. Which oh, God, just like <laughs> makes the whole thing even worse. That's pretty funny. It's, it says noting the clothing of the speaker and the context of the quote is required to catch these mistakes. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to notice yeah. that. Well, this was a completely new experience for me. Um, this is my first graphic novel after living with Dak for eight years and <laughs> having many at my disposal. Different, very different experience. I didn't concentrate on the art as much as I would have liked. I think I'd probably like to go back afterwards and, and go through it again. What I did see, I did like. It is interesting to sort of get that visual of the characters as you're reading them rather than you know, having that opportunity of building the picture in your head. I think it's, it's it's a different experience to just be presented with it in front of you. It was, I was like, what are the chances of there being like a Chris and a Chris, Chrisala or however it's pronounced? I'm not sure uh, the official pronunciation. I've always said Chrisala, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, probably considering it's shortened to Chris. So mm. um, I was was pleased that that turned out to be, to be her. The story, I, yeah, I, I like it so far. Doing the the standard new Cosmere work, struggling to figure out figure out what's happening, sort of thrown mm-hmm. into the thing. I really liked all it like Chris's notes. Struggling to read them a little bit in the font, or if I don't know if it's like the color on the paper, but I'm like my eyes are having a hard time with that. But that was pretty cool to read her little bit of information as it comes up, which was nice. Kenton. Yeah, I feel bad for the dude, really. I was getting very much Jedi Temple vibes, you know, and then these other guys come in and they're like, in our opinion, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> yeah, this is very much where I was <laughs> pretty much the whole time. But, yeah, I mean, good good way to sort of kick off the story. We've got a bit of background of Chris and where she's coming from, like a little bit, and a bit of background of his experience so far. And he's obviously freakishly talented. 
even though he can't make all of these sand ribbons. But yeah, good story. Liking where it's going so far. I'm looking forward to reading the next bit. I'm so glad that you mentioned like uh, having trouble reading her thing because I had the exact same issue. And this is all all of the the handwritten notes and stuff. These pages are added. They weren't in the original. These are all new for the uh, the omnibus. Oh, and OK. For me, I think it's the font. I think it's the cursive text to be like, oh, look, she's handwritten these notes that I'm just like, um, and it's not like I don't know how to read cursive. Like I I do. It's just like, oh, it's so annoying to try to read this. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I have you're not alone. I thought it was the font size, but mm. it, it might even be the color on the background. Yeah, like, I agree. You know, not just white paper. Like to have a slightly yellow paper is is good, but it's almost too dark. I think to really make out the difference. But it's very pretty. And with the blue text yeah. on the, on the yeah, maybe if it had been black, it would be easier. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. The blue text, and I'm reading it on a computer screen because we don't, we didn't, you know. Data and I don't have access to the physical copies yet. I think that makes it even more difficult. Oh, my. Yes, no, I agree that it's difficult to read those. But they are cool. Like Jamie said, I also, like, this is the kind of stuff that I tend to find really fascinating in these books. And so maybe Jamie's in the, the same area as me there. Although, so, I, I guess I should say some of it I find fascinating, like the planetary, the astronomy stuff. I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm eating this up. This is really cool. The The stuff about their currency, I'm like, I mean, I guess good to know. I don't really care. Yeah, the, the, I like it because it's in-world kind of information. It yeah. reminds me a lot of anime vol, uh, manga volumes where now a big trend is in between in between sections of the story. They'll put in stuff from the author or the artists of the manga who will say, like, I, when I was designing this character, I was doing these things. So it's like kind of an insider's perspective into the creation process for it it reminded me of that but it's actually in world content which i find more enjoyable because i know a lot of people read manga for like kind of art instruction or design instruction on how to create characters and things like that but i just read for the story so like having these little tidbits is really interesting to me but I, I guess I'll go into my evaluation proper here. So me and Data were talking about this before we actually started the podcast. And I was like, oh, we should save this for you know, we're actually doing the podcast. The biggest thing that stuck out to me as a reading was that the art style changes from section to section. And I noticed it most. Did it? Yes, I noticed it mostly from the prologue to chapter one. It's very clearly a different artist drawing the characters because the prologue to me looked really pretty and then the chapter one looked ugly so i was like "Ooh, i don't like this as much and then i you know i'd asked data when we when i first got on the call with him you know is it different artists and he said yeah it is yeah so if you look at the if you look at the page i think it's six in here the art there's one person who does chapters one through eleven one person who does chapter twelve one person who does 13 through 18, then the prologue is somebody else. And that's partially because, or probably largely, because the prologue is added. The prologue was not in the original. That's also new for the omnibus. Yeah. And then the colors, somebody did 1 through 6, somebody else did 7 through 8, somebody else did 9 through 18, and then somebody else did the prologue. So it's a whole, okay. it's like a whole thing. Yeah. And I was telling him, you know, as far as my experience with comics goes, the most stuff I have read is probably Batman, because I like Batman a lot. I find, at least in the ones that I've read, DC Comics, the actual comic brand, tends to have more interesting content to me than Marvel Comics does. I do have the Spider-Man Omnibus Volume 1, because I like Spider-Man a lot, and there is Ooh, which, really which great... Author? Which author? What do you mean? 
they, they, I know they do. They sometimes divide up the omnibuses like this is the Stan Lee Spider-Man omnibus or this is the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man oh, omnibus. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's like it's got to be the Stan Lee one because it's like starting from the beginning of the beginning oh, of okay. the Spider-Man run. So like yeah, from cool, the sixties. Okay. Yeah, I I like Stan's art a lot in there, and it's kind of cool to see like. Because, you know, it was like in the 60s, people were writing into Marvel Comics asking questions about Spider-Man. So he would take the time to, like, include explanations of Spider-Man and how his powers worked and, like, the sound effect that his webs make is thwip. And it's, like, cool stuff like that. I really dig that kind of stuff. So that's probably the biggest Marvel thing that I own. But most of the comics I own are Batman. I've got a bunch of paperbacks and then a bunch of trade paperbacks from when um, I would just read about, you know, these are the best Batman stories to read. So, you know, I've got like Long Halloween and and uh, Hush and stuff like that. So I've got a lot of those kinds of comics under my belt. One that I was talking about in particular with Data was, was during the New 52 era, there was a weekly coming out called Batman Eternal. And they did it the last year. One. Yeah, it was the last year that New 52 was around. They had an issue. So they had an issue every week to get to 52 issues so that it would have, you know, 52 to 52 issues along with the other New 52 stuff. And so that one, because they were having an issue a week, they had different authors and artists on almost every issue. So it was kind of like a different experience week to week because uh, there were so many issues and so many different artists and art styles and stuff. There was one that was like, I think even like South Park looking, it was very strange, <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, it was very, it was very weird. Uh, but I say all that to say like, you know, so I'm not, I'm not unused to seeing different art styles in comics, but I will say it makes sense to me that maybe the prologue is newer because it was, I feel like a lot more attention to detail and making the art look pretty look went into the prologue. I feel like, and I'm not saying that the first, three chapters were bad it just i could tell it was different it almost looked rougher like somebody drawing it was trying to make the people look uglier in it which you know is fine that's a style but it just wasn't maybe what i was looking for but that's a long explanation for me saying i did enjoy the section that we read i really like the powers the sand stuff reminds me a lot of the character from this last book that we read in the lost metal that uses crystal but they're using sand like it it just and they have to use water to to use the power it just seems very similar to me and so i i kind of wondered if there's any connection there maybe not but i was just curious i read the forward which maybe i wasn't supposed to do but it specifically talked about how this story is about chris so i uh i kind of knew that before i actually started reading the prologue that chris was in it and so yeah i'm really liking everything so far having having uh, a person to go with the name and more than just like a still from the uh from arcanum unbounded to to go with this character is pretty fun and i'm definitely interested in learning more about these sandmasters although We'll get into it but it appears most of them have died but anyway yeah so i'm excited to to see where this goes this is cool uh format that we're reading this in so yeah yeah it's um uh, a lot of people had issues with the the chain when the comics first came out with the changes in artists you know so there's always i liked i liked the, it at the beginning why'd you change to something else honestly i kind of agree with you that i feel like the the art especially when you compare the prologue to the first uh, however many chapters i feel like it looks uglier than the prologue and so when they changed after the first book to somebody else i wasn't particularly put out but some other people are very much so yeah well i mean i get it you get used to seeing these characters as a certain style and then when that changes it, it can be jarring so it's like yeah but at the same time that's what allows comics to be made more quickly is if you use different artists and things for it so yeah i've never 
I guess my comic book experience, I've never been that uh, that focused on any one thing where I'm following, you know, a certain book for or, or character for a while. My comic reading has more tended to be like I have I have every Civil War comic digitally from, you know, the big Marvel event, not just, you know, the mainline ones, but any any book that had crossover with Civil War. I have all of that so that I experienced wow. everything that was going on with Civil War. So I knew what was happening there. Same thing with like yeah. Blackest Blackest Night from DC. I have the same same thing there where I was like, I want to know what's going on in this event. And so I got a big thing with all of the everything in it. And then beyond like a couple of big things like that, I just got random like I got Tower of Babel. I have a physical copy of that because I think it's an awesome story. I love Tower of Babel. Uh, I read all of like Why the Last Man. I've got Dresden Files comics. I've got uh, Scott Pilgrim, Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen. Just the most random collection of things. Uh, yeah, it's whatever. Uh, it's whatever you like. Like, uh, no, I, I get it. I did the same thing when I started reading Batman. I realized, oh, well, I can't just read Batman. I need to read DC Comics. Oh, and Nightwing crosses over. So then I gotta. Get, that's how they get you. Because then, yeah, Bat- then, <laughs> re- <'cause>, <laughs> then I'm reading Batgirl. Then I'm reading Batgirl, and I'm like, do I really want to read Batgirl? Well, I guess I'm reading Batgirl because Batman shows up, and it's a part of this arc that they're doing in batman so i guess i better read it and so i finally did <laughs> i finally did have to stop because i was i was buying like seven or eight comics a week just to keep up with batman stuff so i was like that's too much but yeah, yeah so it's it i, I don't it, it doesn't strike me as unusual to have like the same character look very different because if you're reading one of these big crossovers then the same person's going to show up drawn by like five different people in five different mm-hmm. books that, that, yeah. that take place at roughly the same time so you're like oh okay right i get that i get that all the time like especially with uh, the x-men crossovers i've got mm. it's like you know the, like this issue is from the mainline x-men series so it's you know written by this person and drawn by this person but then this one is from x-force so it's written drawn by someone completely different who has an utterly different art style and then this one's from X Factor, and it's like different again, and then all these other various titles. And it's like some of the art changes between them are so drastic. I guess yeah. the ones, the one, the, the art changes in here didn't leap out at me as much because they were similar enough that I, I guess I just didn't even notice. Take <laughs> from that week. Well, no, I will say whoever did the prologue, I feel like tried to do a very good job of of keeping the art similar to these first few chapters i don't know about the later on style but i feel like they did a pretty good job looking similar for sure yeah okay so and also i guess to to dak and jamie's point about like trying to keep track of who's who there's a benefit to reading something like batman where you don't have to worry about knowing who batman is uh you when when batman shows up you know (laughs) so uh, he's got the cape he's got the cowl he's usually in the cave if he's not wearing his cape and cowl, you know who he is. Yeah. And so it, when we're going into a completely new universe, the, the, there's no source material for this before this, essentially. So it is kind of like, oh, I'm trying to keep track of all these new people. And it's it may be, like you guys said, it may be worse than reading a brand new novel. And they introduce like nine yeah. character, nine main characters. And you're like, OK, I'm trying, who uses pewter again? It was it was the guy <laughs> with with the ham bone name or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if, even that is like it's not that's not something completely new to me. I've got some of like plenty of science fiction uh, comics on my shelf, like Black Science or Low, or even some like noir stuff like Sleeper. You guys have probably never even heard of those. No. And now, it's, and now I sound like a snob. I'm sorry, that's not my intent. <laughs> um, that's just like, but it's like you know, those those are <laughs> non superhero stories because like superheroes, like it's very much oh, you see the costume and you know who that person is, whereas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those other comics like are much like White Sand. It's a case of well, no, they don't have these distinct 
one one of a kind outfits that you know this is this person this is this person they will you know change outfits throughout you need and you need to actually be paying attention so like it's not like it's completely new to me i guess but it's just especially with the two professors when they are just so interchangeable as we even more than we thought yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) even the artists don't know yeah Look at the big, uh, look at the big comic dick on deck. That's what he's basically saying. Very, very Brody. Yeah, it's true. Oh man, I don't want to be Brody. <laughs> <laughs> things Brody is funny, well but like, yeah, things but... worked out well for him. He started hosting the Tonight Show. You don't want to host the Tonight Show? <laughs> didn't, didn't he flee? Like there was like the newspaper in in Strike Back. It was like Brody Bolts. Yeah, but then he like started opened a comic shop, so it yeah, worked yeah, out I for guess. him. Yeah, true. I don't want to manage my own business. I'm not cut out for that. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, no. P- people have dreams of starting their own business. I'm like, no, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I don't want to Even, do that. Uh, especially like a brick and mortar comic shop in these days. Oof. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's rough. Support your local comic shop, people. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's rough on them. Um, okay, let's let's get into this. We, we've got a lot. Of, I think uh, now that I'm looking at actual page num- numbers and such, I, I was telling Joe, I think that I may have started us off with like the biggest chunk that we will be reading this whole time. So this may be a longer one. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm also going to try to use this to evaluate is three chapters a good number for us to read each time. So we'll find out. So we start out with just uh, I know me, Dak and I at least always enjoy the map. And I love the art style on this map. This is just a very like different sort of map from what we've seen before this one it d- doesn't look like it was drawn by naz or has his commentary on it or whatever like it's, that's it like this is appears to be before chris meets naz and it's yeah, from chris, exactly it's from chris's home planet so maybe it's just one she already had yeah and so it's just a map of dayside as dak mentioned we don't see anything about what dark side looks like but uh, the day side is it's very stylistic. It's got like the ocean with the giant monsters in it. And around the edges at the bottom, you've got like guys who you can probably recognize at this point are the Sandmasters with their ribbons of sand. And at the top, there is kind of an ephemeral woman lying on top of the map and like looking down with her red hair flowing. And so maybe uh, that'll play into things at some how some at some point in some way. Could it be the Sand Lord? Could be. Maybe. I mean, they, they I feel like they make it sound like Sandlord's a dude, but uh, we, we can look for that. It could be androgynous. And so also the first then the, the next page then is one of these pages with just text. Well, mostly text. There's a few like drawings, but these are Chris's notes about how stuff works. And the astronomy part, like I said, is the most fascinating to me where this is a planet that is locked where one side day side is always facing the primary star of the system. But there is a smaller star that moves along or really from what it says kind of pulls the planet along with it as it orbits the larger star and dark side is always facing the small star the small star has a particulate cloud around it so you don't even get all the light from the small star you get like what she calls like a kind of tw- perpetual twilight on dark side call it the tugboat star and then there's some specifics about like just weird stuff with this system like there's a pulse from this particulate cloud exactly every seven orbits of the moon, which is how they judge their days. And she's like, that can't be like a coincidence, but we have no idea what it is or what it means. Yeah. What I learned from this section is their planet's weird and they don't know why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She even says like, we we're not in a stable orbit. There's no way that we should be able to stay in the orbit that we're in. There must be some other influence, but we don't know what it is. Which that, that's uncomfortable. And then we get the slightly less interesting to me stuff about like the clocks and how Darkseid's clock is different from Dayside's clock, which I feel like is k- 
kind of needlessly adding complexity. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why it was necessary. I think that's just to show, like, the disparity between the cultures. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty big difference when you have a different number of hours in the day. And they also each have, like, minutes in their hours, but the minutes are different lengths, which that's just mean. Yeah, there's got to be an easier way, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess we find out there's not that all that much, at least official communication between the two halves. So maybe, you know, you don't really notice that the other half does things so differently. It's maybe it's it, it's kind of like metric and and uh, imperial measurements. But it's okay. just it's just weird. Yeah. And then for coinage, we get a little bit about that. They use discs of precious or semi precious stone. And there's well, there's what seven different denominations with made of different kinds of stone. I mean, that's a cool way like to do stuff. It's nice, nice and color coded. Yeah, right. Very, very color coded. I appreciate that. And she even tells us like what the average upper class craftsperson makes a day. So we get sort of an idea of how much we feel like uh, a lack would be worth. But uh, I was just like, OK, good to know, I guess. And so, yeah, I did. did, did Jamie and Dak, did you guys read the forward or anything, or was it a surprise when you figured out who this person was? I see in the forward. I, I've I've got, I've had too many experiences with forwards where they just blow plot mm. details for later in the book. So I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to risk it this time. Yeah, I didn't read it to be honest. Dak puts the bookmark in at the end of each episode and goes, "This is where we start. This is where we finish," and that's yeah. all I read. Nice. So uh, good system. Yeah, I apologize. When I was in college. We took a, I took a course and part of the course was like teaching you how to read books, which it was like, well, okay, well that sounds weird. But basically <laughs> his point was like the author intends you to read everything in the book. So mm-hmm. you're supposed to start with the introduction, read the forward and then go into it. So that's what I've done just out of habit that's, for every book I've ever that's read. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, Data told us only to read the prologue in the first three chapters, but without thinking, I just read the intro and the, especially since I was scrolling on the computer, it was kind yeah, of hard it, to it skip. Pops right up, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and it makes sense that, uh, you know, some people would skip something. It, it, like when we were in Mistborn, we talked about how some people apparently didn't read the epigraphs. And you're like, that's a whole different experience that you're having with this book than what we had. Yeah. 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 Without the, the epigraphs, we wouldn't have been able to make half the predictions we made. Yeah. I guess the difference there is like the epigraphs are like they they are part of the text of the book, mm-hmm. like they're still part of the story. Like the forward, like isn't part of the story. It it is crucial, and yeah, you're entirely right. Like the author does want you to read it, so that's fair. But if you skip it, you don't miss any any part of the story itself. Whereas the epigraphs, you absolutely do. Right. Yeah. I often wonder like how many people open a book. And just don't read a prologue. Like they just, they're like, oh well, I don't need to read a prologue. I'll just go to chapter one. <laughs> in uh, in comedy books, especially like uh, Douglas Adams, I'm always very very careful to make sure I read the prologue because they're generally hilarious. Uh, yeah. It, it, the Princess Bride has the most ridiculous prologue or forward or whatever it is, where it like made me concerned. Uh, the like the, this author's talking about how he when he was working on this book he like tried to have an affair with this woman he met at the pool or whatever and talking shit about his wife and his fat kid. And I was just like, Oh my God, what? what, is, what? And it turns out it's all fiction because um, yeah, he doesn't even have a son that he was talking about. He has two daughters, but it was just like, I was, I was it's so a... concerned going through this prologue. Like, should you be writing this down? Like, this doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> it's a pretty cracked out book. It's uh. It has so many little notations in it as well, especially the anniversary edition of the book, because 
it was made after the movie came out. And so there's so many ref like fictional stories about making the film oh, in the I book read that I have to do that. I think I oh, yeah, you got new stuff in that. Oh, it's so good. It's like it, he talks about meeting Andre the giant and tells a ridiculous story about how Andre the giant really did climb these cliffs and he like he's so strong like it's i mean it's insane you gotta you gotta read the anniversary edition it's amazing you referred to me as regular sized andre <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm shopping for that right now okay uh, because yeah that guy's a hell of a writer but it's the same with like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy great great stuff that he writes before the main book it's just always hilarious douglas adams is great too uh okay sorry back to what we're talking about so how did you guys twig right away that duchess chrysala is uh, the same person that we've been seeing uh, several times in the past or did it take a while here yeah no as soon as i said chrysala i was going wait a minute oh okay that was it it's one of the reasons that i thought him thought it important to mention that this is the earliest published thing in the cosmere because uh, it gives you an idea of like this is not chris after we've seen her in uh, in secret history or you know era two or whatever yeah so we meet Chrysala and Bayon is how I've pronounced his name. And uh, there may be other pronunciations. And they are coming from Darkseid to Dayside. Mm. And she's repairing a Dayside watch or clock, whatever they call it. And then she opens the thing after they've made it through the storm. Apparently, according to the picture we saw earlier, there's like a big storm around the rim between the two sides. And so you got to cross through this perpetual storm to get to from one side to the other. I mean, makes sense why there's not a lot of contact between the two then. Yeah. Well, yeah, that and it sounds like the politics of uh, dark side don't exactly make it easy. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's the that's the weirdest thing to me about this whole story. It's like how and I mean, they they kind of pointed out it's like how weird this world is. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. There, There's one side that always day and one side that's always night. And there's this giant storm like none of that weather wise makes sense to me. Mm. And the fact that they're like, yeah, we can't explain it. I'm just like, oh, come on. So so I mean, I assume it's some kind of shard in- intervention, but I don't know if we're going to get insight on that or not. But it's I'm just like, what? What is this? And then we'll also get into it. I don't know if it's done to be specifically ironic, but the fact that all the the well all i say the majority of the daylight people have uh light skin and the majority of the dark night dark side people have uh darker <laughs> dark skin people. yeah dark night people dark side people have darker skin i'm like shouldn't it be the opposite i'm so confused that's an interesting point it's no sense to me either why <laughs> yeah it's uh actually i hadn't even really thought of that but you make a good point so she sees the sun for the first time and is like holy crap that's bright and beyond's just like yeah suns are bright like that's that's how that works. And so they put on sunglasses that they brought with them, which that was smart. And we meet the two uh, the two guys that Dak had mentioned for the first time, Alstrin Cinder, who is a, a univer- university language professor and yeah. an anthropologist, John Akron. Okay, so the easiest way for me to be able to tell the difference is tell me which one of them has the mustache, Cinder or Akron. Akron appears to have the mustache. Okay, that'll help me a lot. I feel like that's the best way I'm going to figure out who's who. But see, the very first page where we see them, it's already starting to cause confusion to me because you see them from far away at first. Guy with purple suit is on the left. Guy with green suit is on the right. Then you get there on that same page. There's a blow up that's closer to them and they've now swapped positions. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? (laughs) 
And so she brought uh, she brought the language guy because he's the foremost expert that they have on the language of the day side, which, as we soon find out, uh, means almost fuck all. And, <laughs> uh, and the other guy's just an anthropologist who's going to get to study some new culture. Yeah, it's like when you take ancient Greek in Bible school and then you go to Greece and you're like, oh, they don't speak that. No. <laughs> and we find out that Bayon is actually from Liarian, which is a kingdom that's like the seat of the dynasty itself, which we find out that the dynasty is like the evil empire on the dark side and they've conquered lots of stuff and they want to conquer Chris's country and she's trying to stop that. That's the whole reason that she's come here to find something to help her. And so she's like, yeah, I don't know how this Bayon guy ended up working for us, but whatever. I, I, I kind of am scared to ask. And then we uh, we get some of the soldiers they brought along and they have guns, which they say that no one on the dark side has something like that. So that's going to give them the tactical edge. Day side. Day side. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to do that a lot. <laughs> uh, just curious. Does that uh, does that mean anything to anyone that uh, we're seeing guns here? When Kelsia met with Chris and Naz in. Uh, secret history and like Naz had a flintlock and it looks like that's what these guys have so mm-hmm. I guess it's possible that Naz might also be from this planet or Chris might have given him a gun who knows yeah the technology level seems to be about the same yeah but if I'm going to take a further leap maybe I don't remember the specifics uh, even though we just read it I'm sorry my brain uh, I'm getting older and you know I don't remember stuff very well <laughs> but anyway uh, didn't was there something about autonomy saying that the people of her planet just discovered this technology not not very long ago or am Nada. i mixing that up with something else so what you're thinking of is moonlight i think i'm pretty sure it's moonlight in the last book in the lost metal says that the planet of skadriel is the first one in the cosmere to get guns and electricity except for autonomy's homeworld yeah so so maybe this here. is autonomy's homeworld, possibly. Don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe maybe they just have guns here, not electricity, so uh, that it doesn't count. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Uh, okay. She she says that she ordered Bayon to leave the guns behind, and he's like, "Yeah, I ignored that. It's because it's a stupid ass decision. I like to ignore it." <sighs> Could you, you know, see Jackson playing this guy? Like, just sure. <laughs> You know, it does turn out to be not a great decision because the guys they hired to hold said guns are kind of dumb. Yeah, and they established that here. It's like the idea of having a firearm in Flenid's hands makes me nervous. And Bayon's like, oh, yeah. But that doesn't stop them from giving him a gun, this Flenid guy. And uh, yeah, he, so Bayon is here to keep her safe. And if that requires ignoring her orders, then he's going to do that. And then she goes off to privately read a letter that she received saying that her betrothed prince gevelden is dead but he did find the sand mages and they might hold the the key to saving the nation of ellis from the dynasty that first half her but she received a letter saying her betrothed had died gave me a lot of elantris vibes but the second oh, half yeah. not yep. so much the elantrians are real and they can save us all <laughs> and so that's uh that's the introduction here it's, uh the part of Adding the prologue and stuff uh, was to expand on Chris's story a little bit so that uh, we understand where she's coming from in some ways. Uh, since l- later on, she becomes an important crossover type character in some of the Cosmere stuff we've read. So she's off to find the Sand Mages. And then we cut to and it's the art style is most obvious to me. The difference when you look at like Kenton, because you see Kenton so much in the first three chapters, like Kenton here looks to me very different from Kenton in uh, like when we yes. look at chapter one. 
I agree. He looks he looks good here, but in the next chapter he looks kind of rough. And so we get Kenton and one of his buddies sand surfing, and we get introduced to the fact that like the most powerful sandmasters can control all of these uh, ribbons of sand and use it to their advantage in various ways. Kenton only has one ribbon, but as we then find out when he gets into a competition with uh, some other bragging sandmasters to shoot stuff out of the air, he has more individual control over his one ribbon than they have with like their 10 ribbons or whatever. And so he, I guess you would say he wins some money with that, but he doesn't really because he destroys that amount of money first in order to win it from them. Yeah, I didn't really understand that competition at all. And so, yeah, I, I guess, guess he was so confident that he was going to win. He's like, I'll just break even. I don't really care about the money. The point is to show them that I'm better than them. Yeah, and he's like, I guess this is just a Sandmaster thing where it's like we throw discs up, shoot discs in the air and knock them out. Yeah. And he totally calls the guy out. Wanting to prove your point, though. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, you destroyed all your money, but good on you, man. <laughs> you made your point. Uh, humble brag, whatever. I I really like how the, the this guy controls ten ribbons or whatever, and he's like, okay, launch ten discs, and he's like, really, just the one for each ribbon? That's how hard you're pushing here. And he's like, okay, fine, do eleven, and he knocks eleven out, and then Kenton's like, all right, well, here's. 25 and i'll take them all out with one ribbon and it's just it's it's a real real power move there and uh and, and yet they still everyone looks down on him because he only controls one ribbon i got a lot of like codex alira vibes off this because uh, in in that world you know tavi is the only one in the entire world who doesn't have any fury power so everyone looks down on him but it forces him to be more creative and think outside the box Yep. on how to solve problems. And so that's the, the same thing with Kenton. He can only do one ribbon and everyone else is like, huh, you can only do one, you loser. But he's just much smarter about how he uses the power and what he can actually do with it. So yeah, like a lot of similarities there, which I appreciated. That is probably one of my favorite kind of tropes in fantasy fiction where there's the one guy without powers, but that just means that he has to become smarter than everyone else to stand yeah. up to them. I mean, it's kind of Batman honestly right yep like yeah, as batman he has to outthink outplan out resourcefulness everyone else because they all have powers and he doesn't and i love that I, it, I, I like how it turns like that the trope of you know special powers on its head because like in our world one person with powers would be the unusual one but in their world it's the person without powers the person that we can most closely identify with, who is the unusual one yep and it's it's a really nice perspective flip which then, like when you get to the later books in Codex Lyra, they they pull back on that, and uh, because of yeah, power that's... creep, and it, that kind of bothers me. But there, the, yeah, there was a lot going on there. Anyways, and then we, we we jump back to Chris and her crew going through this market, and apparently Chris's outfit, which uh, one of the guys is like, yeah, you dress like my grandma or whatever, is uh, conservative on day side, not so much, or on dark side, not so much on day side. Uh, she's showing a lot of. Uh, skin and i guess uh when the sun is constantly beating down on you that's not really something you necessarily do and every person that their language expert tries to talk to runs away screaming (laughs) we don't understand what's going on and then they wanted they run into the one shopkeeper who has just like the just enough uh uh dark side language to uh to get by and uh or dynastic is the language actually which they I mean, even the they they're trying to get away from the dynasty, but they speak their language uh, in Ellis, I guess. And he's he's got that great like broken English sort of uh, things like more dark side good friends. You want supplies, okay, friend? 
I, I love this guy. Maybe it's just because we're watching a lot of Frozen, but I got very, woohoo, big summer yep. blowout. Yep, there Off you go. <laughs> Have great large deal for you, one time only, best guide, my nephew. I love yeah. the fact that it's like he can only speak one word of our language, and that word is ahoy. <laughs> of ahoy. all the words. <laughs> Little Mr. Burns going on. Ahoy there. Well, I figure he's like sailors is probably who he runs into most who speak it, so in a way yeah, it makes that's sense. Fair. And Chris is shocked that dark side ships are coming over here. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe one, two ship one week. She's like, what? But Bayon points out, it's like it, it wasn't really that hard for us to get through. Like there's blockades, apparently, but we didn't see any other ships. And then they hear someone speak in that language that they've been trying to speak. And it's a, a guy standing up in front of the crowd, waving a spear with his big robes and big beard. And they're like, oh, scar on his head. Yep. The X-shaped scar. And the, the professor's like, oh, great. Here's somebody who can speak the language that I speak. And then he speaks it, and it, the the guy is not pleased. We don't know what they're saying, but it uh, it doesn't appear to have gone down well. And it it seems that the language he learned was like the holy language of the clergy on Dayside or whatever, which uh, that's why everyone is freaked out about it. <laughs> and then we cut to chapter one. We've got some some info about the Sandmasters, and this is where they're just dropping a bunch of stuff on us, uh, like some some deep story stuff, and not just general. It's like the Sandmasters is a profession. It's called the Diem. The Diem's also the building that they use. The Nation of Low Sand has eight main professions, kind of like guilds, and the Diem is for the Sandmasters. The Sandmasters have they got the water thing on their back because they use water to fuel. And I, I was going to mention that when Joe mentioned earlier. It is really reminiscent of uh, of what he was doing with like his in the Lost Metal with his Aether. And if I yeah. recall correctly, that was added. Like that wasn't in the original unpublished Aether of the Nights book. That's the water requirement. Something that was added later for uh, when it showed up in the Lost Metal. And I feel like Brandon took the idea directly from here because it's hmm. so similar. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, but it makes sense that you should that you're you're having to give up something to create this these things. They're not just out of nowhere. So some kind of equivalent exchange for metal alchemists. Thank you. <laughs> And we, we see the ranks nicely outlined with the color coding. That's one thing that this definitely has over the, the prose version is like trying to remember all the ranks and what sash color goes with them and stuff and how many ribbons they can make. It's all annoying. This There's a nice chart here. I appreciate a chart. Yeah. And so Kenton wants to be a maestral, the highest level, the gold level, but they can usually control 15 or more ribbons and he can control one ribbon. Uh, we got we find out about the desert, the Curla. But it's not really a desert because there's an entire ecosystem under the sand. As we find out later, there's like vines under the sand that you pour a little water. They come up. You can open them up to get more water. Something that Chris and co don't find out for a while. And there's things that live in the sand called sandlings. And not only do they not need water, it is toxic to them, melting their carapace. And they don't have blood. They have gas. And so that's weird. They sound dangerous to be around, to be perfectly honest. Like, that's really that's really the thing you wanted to use. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Well, and we see him fight, like, the, the giant one later, so those are pretty dangerous. And once again, we have the chart of some of them are small, like the Tonk is like a horse that they're riding, essentially. And you see the comparison with the little guy for scale as the guy gets smaller and smaller and the creature gets larger. Yeah, they got like giant bugs and like big lion looking things and even like a little raptor sort sort of thing. Like yeah. these are all just like yeah. like water hating bugs. I guess so. Seems just, like they... a great place. Seems like a place I want to <laughs> vacation and you know. Yeah. And 
you get a little a little primer on how to ride a tonk in case that ever comes up and you need to ride a tonk. Here's how you do it. And if only I had read that last week when I wrote a tonk, then (laughs) I wouldn't have made a fool of myself. I spilled water all over him. Half of him melted. It was the worst. (laughs) I felt so bad. Something else Joe was saying before we got started was I feel bad for her. She's just spilled water on his horn and it melted. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I would hope that somebody would explain to me before I got on this animal. Hey, you know that thing you have to drink to survive? Don't spill it on it because you will kill it. Yeah. Don't don't drink and drive, kids. Don't call it Stumpy or something like. (laughs) Stumpy. What a a consolation! We've given you a cute nickname, and now you get more attention, so it's okay. Yeah, we've actually deliberately injured you, and then named you after the injury we gave you. I wonder if it grows back, or maybe they shed like an exoskeleton or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think that guy's doomed to be Stumpy for the rest of his existence. (laughs) That poor Tonk. Uh, So we meet Kenton again. And him and, and his dad this time in in our new art style, or what's well, actually the first art style uh, that was done for the comic. And Kenton's father is the Lord Maestral, the guy who's in charge of the whole shebang of Sandmasters. And Kenton wants to prove that he deserves to be a maestral, because if he isn't a maestral, no one will listen to his ideas. Sure. You know, he wants to be a maester. I get it. Lord <laughs> Seymour. And so he's going to run the, the maestral's path or whatever it's called. Which is an extremely dangerous thing that only maestrals do because it's to like show off how awesome you are to the other maestrals. It's just not a, it's not really anything that officially has any bearing on anything. It's just like, hey, look, look how awesome we are. We can do the super dangerous thing and survive. So he's going to do it with his one ribbon. And everyone's like, this is suicide. What are you doing? And his dad's like, you're not going to force me to make you a maestral. You're just being an idiot. So don't do this thing. And he even offers, I will give you the rank of what is it, like Fen. Fen if you don't do it, which is like the second lowest rank. But he's only ever been offered the lowest rank before. So that's all that's like still <laughs> a, a come up from that. He's like, oh, Fen, eh? Hmm. Uh, but his his buddy Ellerin, who's got the, the orange sash, he's like an under maestral, the second lo- uh, level or whatever, has offered to sponsor him to do the thing. And so they're going to let him go. He has to find five balls, spheres, sorry, hidden out there on the path, or else you you don't succeed. There's not really a consequence of any kind. And you can only take one water skin. So that that's important, because water is necessary to make sand go do all the crazy stuff. <laughs> then we get a flashback to when Kenton first tries out to join the DM, and he's his power is almost non-existent, but there's just enough that he can insist that they let him in. His dad tries to kick him out, and he's like, nope, I want in. I'm going to prove myself. He's been stubborn for a real long time is what you get from this. And we spend some time learning about uh, – and yeah, like I said, you got to remember this was the beginning before they added all that prologue stuff. So he has to cover, like, this is how Sandmasters do stuff. This is how I do stuff and why it's different from the normal. And look at what I can do with my one ribbon. It may not do all the stuff that they can do, but it, I, I do it better. We didn't have the scene before of him like shooting the lack out of the air. So we had to get the same idea here. But here it's very much like telling more than showing, I feel like. Well, sort of. I think like the in conjunction with the prologue, the pro, like seeing him just snap all the coins out of the air with one ribbon was sort of like the tease. And then here we see him going going to absolutely town and doing so much with the ribbon. Yeah, that's true. He's like creating handholds and doing all this different stuff and they're like what's he doing a sandmaster is supposed to like dance through the air what is this idiot doing 
climbing rocks like a loser. Uh, I don't mind that kind of exposition when it's a grumpy old bastard just going like, <laughs> you're not supposed to do it that way. This is how it's meant to be yeah. done. It's like, 100% a realistic thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> dance, water, dance. He's like, if I just leapt over this chasm, I would have not found the third sphere. So see? And then he's using his brain because he's like, hey, I see some black sand up there, which means it was just recently used. And that's how we learn when you magic with the sand, it turns black. And then the sun will, over time, re-energize it and make it white again. White sands. I get it now. (laughs) And he finds four of them. He's almost out of time. And here comes the fifth one. But it is guarded by a deep sand. uh, Deep sandling. Yeah, a deep sandling. I I was reading the deep sand. It is in some deep sand, but there's a deep sandling under the deep sand. Deep sand. Sounds like a place where you'd find a deep sandling. Yeah, right. Not only is it a deep sandling, but it is a... uh, what does he call it? It's it's like got the special black carapace that cannot be affected by uh, sand. It's Turkin. That's what they, the, the sandling is Turkin, a name for anything impervious to sand mastery. So it's a badass monster that's guarding the final sphere. But it's still vulnerable to water. If he hadn't drunk all his water, he could pour some on it and start uh, melting it, which really makes it slightly less intimidating to me. Yeah, it's a giant monster, but you throw some water on it and it'll run away. Yeah, it's like the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. But he doesn't have any water, so uh, he's he's going to he's going he, to grab the, the fifth sphere and take off. But then he sees embedded in the creature's chest a sixth sphere. Oh, my gosh. This must be the real test, he decides. And he goes in and murders the deep sandling with his sword and his sand and is like, look at me. Look how badass I am. And then he collapses because he's all out of uh, he's, he's dehydrated and stuff. Yeah. And then we go back to Chris. They're they're heading across the the desert or the sands, not really the desert, as Kenton explains later on. And you can see in the picture that one of her uh, Tong's horns is all messed up. And the, yeah, the, the nephew knows the one dynastic word, ahoy. <laughs> Onion. And they're trying to explain to him that they need some water. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, water, no problem. And he starts to pour out some a canteen on the sand. And she's like, no, I will not allow you to waste our water by pouring it on the sand. And she's like, ahoy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, these foolish outsiders. And we make it to a town, which they're really hoping, because they don't understand the water thing. They're like, there's got to be a well. There's got to be something here. Like, if there's a town, there's water, right? Why else would they have a town right here? And then they run into some uh, some intimidating-looking dudes with, like, arm pneumatic crossbows, which that's pretty cool for guys who don't have guns. What are you saying, Jamie? I just said it's pretty high-tech. Yeah. <laughs> And so she decides that uh, if I know anything about natural nature, then okay. the best place to find water is going to be where, like, th- there's rocks popping up. Because that means you're closest to, like, into the ground where you could find the way down to water instead of just sand. And so she's like, take us to these mountains over here. And the guy's like, ahoy! <laughs> That's the end of chapter one. Uh, chapter two, Kenton wakes up. And they're like, dude, that was, that was the messed up shit you did. That was crazy. There wasn't supposed to be a sixth one. It was probably just left over from some other run. <laughs> you kind of out thought yourself there. And also everyone's mad at you because you killed the, the thing, the deep sandling, which has been there for hundreds of years and was the whole point of the, the path. And now no one will ever be able to do the path again. To be fair, if they hurt the sandling with water, I guess it was just supposed to burrow back and they could get the sixth thing or the fifth one. Is well, that what, what they were basically saying, or what? What he says, his, uh, Kenton's friend here says, when he ran it, he did pour water on it, but then it, like, disappeared into the sand and 
took it, took the sphere with it. Like he wasn't able to find the fifth sphere afterwards. Yeah. So like, what was he supposed to do? This is an excellent question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like they shouldn't be mad. They set him up for it. They're like, Hey, here's an impossible task. He's like, okay, I'll kill it then. And they're like, wait, you're not supposed to do that. We, we can't help you unless you ask for it. Well then guess I'm going to stab it. No wait. Yeah. Don't kill it. What do you want me to do? Pet it? <laughs> Nobody. They've all just got the ships because the guy who's only got one sand ribbon has not only shown them up by finding all five, but found someone else's as well. And now killed the beast. Yeah. Which any of them probably would have not even thought about going near that beast without some water. So the fact that he not only did it, but then killed it. Yeah, I agree with Jamie. They're just mad because he's so cool. Yeah. It's tough to be the goat, Kenton. What can we tell you? <laughs> yeah. You just, I mean, it doesn't help. Like the, the boss is literally your dad and you've basically just shown up your dad saying, fuck you, dad. Yeah, it's true. Remember this pa- this sacred path? Now it's nothing. <laughs> Guess we'll go out to have to go find another bug monster. No. Yeah. Remember when they said this is the way in the Mandalorian, and then this season they all decided to take off their helmets anyway? Yeah, exactly. Did they do that? Was that the latest episode? Because I haven't seen the latest episode. It wasn't the latest one, so spoilers. Sorry about that. I've stopped watching anyway, so. This season's been pretty good. Uh, I like, uh, I like what's-her-name, Starbuck. Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, thank you. Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan, yeah, she's good. Uh, and so then we met Dr- Drill, Drill, however you Drill. say it. Yeah. Uh, Dickbag. We met him. Yeah, it, it, there you go. We met him earlier. He was a jerk. Yeah. And it turns asymmetrical out Asymmetrical haircut. Yes, that doesn't help. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even like an asymmetrical haircut. It's like one side of his head has hair and the other one just has nothing. Yeah, he just shaved it. He's a douchebag. That's what we're trying to say. Or it's yeah. possible that he shaved both sides and just grown the very middle real long and it comes over in one direction. I can't, like, actually see under it. So. Either way, dumb. It's weird. Yeah. You, th- you think, like, if you're bald on this planet, like, on day side, it's like, you need to get sunburned up there. No one needs that. Yeah, they're all wearing hoods a lot of the time, so that's probably... I guess. He should be wearing his hood. Th- maybe that's what really makes him stand out, is Dryle never seems to be wearing his hood. True. Or else we wouldn't even know about the haircut. Also, he turns out to be evil, so... Yeah, so he, he not only is he a jerk bag, but he is violating the rules of the sand mastery, the sandmaster profession by like trying to hire out as a mercenary. And the the Lord Maestral is not happy about that. And so they all drink from a, the, the sacred chalice together, except Dryle's too good for them. He's like, nah, I don't want none of that. I uh, see you say that. Here's, you know, predicament. Here it comes. Had poison in it. Oh, Dryle figured out a way to sneak poison in or. Well, somebody did, and he knew it was in there, because then they all, none of them can't, they can't use their power so good, so some had to be in that cup, because he's the only one who didn't drink out of it. Yeah, okay, that's a fair point. And so they're handing out ranks, here's the where the multicolored sashes come in, and then we get down to, like, the last sash, DM Fen Blue, and he's like, oh, that, that's still not what I wanted, but it's a higher rank than I ever thought I would realistically get, so I should probably take it, except it's not for Kenton. It's for Dryle, the maestral. He has been demoted, which is apparently unheard of. No, nothing, no one's ever had that happen before. Really? Never? It seems never in all the history of the DM has a Sandmaster been unadvanced. That's surprising. Right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they take his, uh, his sash away, give him the blue sash. They're like, know your place. And then, oh, here comes a gray sash, the lowest rank. And they call Kenton up and they're like, Kenton, here's what, here's what I'm going to offer you. Did you think I would reward you for disobeying me, for slaying the deep sandling and ruining the path? And Kenton's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking the lowest rank. I'm awesome, and I want to be recognized. And so his dad's like, okay, fine. 
take the maestral sash that Dryle just dropped. You are now a maestral. And uh, guess what? Everyone is going to hate you for it because no one will think that you earned it. They will think that you got it just because you're the son of the Lord Maestral, and it's going to make your life miserable. Which I feel like everyone saw him beat the path with one ribbon and find an extra sphere. Like, really, everyone's going to think it's like, oh, this is purely on nepotism. It's like, no, he pulled off something pretty extraordinary, and it's well known. Yeah, his dad's really a short-sighted fucker on this one. I mean, what are you talking about? I suspect that you are right, and that if there had been time, his dad would have been proven wrong. Except that they're all about to die, so it's not. Yeah, bad. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> one minute later. <laughs> well, it's, it's literally like one of those things where our boy's getting hyped up for like the event of his life and like the honor and respect he's always wanted. First, his dad shits on it, and then it becomes utterly meaningless because his entire order is destroyed. Yeah. His dad takes an arrow to the like kidney or something over here in the opening volley from an attack by the Kirstians. Which, now that I say it out loud, sounds kind of like Christian. I thought it was Kurtz. Yeah. Uh, maybe you're right. Kurt, it's K-E-R-Z-T-I-A-N-S here. So Kurtzian. Kurtzian. Kurtzians. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Although, by the way, there's a giant group of these people who are all trained warriors. No, yeah. Nobody sees the bad guys coming. That, right? Yeah, they didn't have sen- like gods or sentries up. Yeah. Everyone is looking the one direction, apparently, at, at this yeah. crazy shit that's going down. Yeah, they're looking one direction, saying, you don't know you're beautiful. No, I mean, it's just, <laughs> does it just doesn't make any sense. They've just all yeah, got they're... complacent. They've forgotten how to be warriors, and they're just too worried about looking pretty. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I think that's what Kenton has been trying to argue up till now, was like... That yeah. came up in the prologue with his mate, yeah. It's like, yeah. We, like we, we have forgotten who we are. We so haven't actually Mufasa. fought in like hundreds of years, so like we're not the warriors we should be. And his friend's like, "No, we're 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 the most badass people out here. What are you talking about?" And now's their chance to prove it because all the dudes are coming, and you you can see that they can use these ribbons of sand to just like they drill into this dude's skull. Like it's it should not be that much of a battle. Like when when you've got like fifteen ribbons of sand and each one can murder a guy instantly, but uh, yeah, it's it doesn't work out that well for him. We also find out that if sand touches blood, it turns black, so that instantly uses up, uses it, uses it up, its power. I also, I didn't even look closely, but I like this one shot of, like, the Sandmaster shooting, like, three ribbons through a guy, and they're coming out the hole in the back, and they're all black. Yeah. Also, note, Kenton uses a sword. They mentioned that earlier, like, that's another reason people look down on him, because, uh, oh, you're supposed to just use sand as your weapon. What's this sword shit? But it comes in handy here. It's like a Harry Dresden move. It's like, uh, yeah, I can use magic, but doesn't mean like a little a trusty sidearm isn't helpful. Exactly. And there's a brief note about like the tattoos versus scars, and th- there'll be more detail on that later. But it's like Christians have tattoos to show their daikin, their job basically. The X indicates a warrior, but scarring is only supposed to be used for priests. So there's some weird combination of warrior and priest, which has not been a thing before now. And as they fight, like, Kenton's like, we're dropping more quickly than we should be. And he, like, gets a group together. He starts to rally them and give them direction. Like, you guys defend. You guys attack. We're going to line you all up. He's got some leadership that he's pulling off here. But it doesn't matter because they start dying a lot. And even his friend Tribin over here, like, dries out to the point that it's, like, he's all dry and cracked and stuff. Like, he, they call it, like, overmastering where you use up all your water and dry out and 
it's happening to people that it should not be happening to like way faster than it should be happening. His friend dies. He's very mad. He starts slicing through people, but there's too many of them. And there's the one shot of him, like with like a hundred guys about to fall on him. And his dad screams out and lets out this enormous burst of sand magic, like a vengeful God disappointed in all that he sees, whose only recourse is to wipe the slate clean and start afresh. And for a moment, I swear he did it to protect me. Which that's kind of a sweet moment, given that uh, the next shot is his dad, like, full of arrows, like a freaking porcupine over here. Dude, got barred. Uh, yeah, it's a real, uh, it's a real bummer. Bummer, dude. And then we get some more, uh, some more Chris's notes, which this is once again, like, new information that I like to have here. Uh, I, I like how much it gives us. We've got Losa and her brother Cursed, who are the original progenitors of, like, the two major cultures on Dayside. Depending on which side you're on, the story is different. The Christians say that Losa was cursed by the with sand mastery by the Sand Lord, and the Losandians say that Losa was blessed by the Sand Lord, and her brother tried to kill her out of jealousy. Which, if you look at the pictures of the two of them, Curse totally looks like uh, like a jealous dickbag over here. Although she looks kind of like uh, like she's about to sneeze or something, so I don't know. And the Christians are generally very religious it tells us the losandians not so much they're kind of more laissez-faire with their religion it says if you're a losandian and you want an organized religion you basically have to go and join that other religion the Karine. and then we get like another set of pictures of like here's what the different tattoos or you don't even have to have it a tattoo you can wear like a headband or something to show if you're a farmer a craftsperson so on the square means priest and that's the only one that's supposed to be scarred is the priest one I guess to show that it is permanent, you don't stop being a priest. And the warrior is the X. And then chapter three, where the and if you if you did read the uh, the prologue, not the forward, the forward was by Isaac, the prologue was by uh, Brandon. This is like the picture that he got. It, he describes like riding on a bus in South Korea on his mission trip, and the genesis of this story was like this pure white sand and like somebody like reaching up out of it. And being found, like, mm. buried under it. You said prologue a couple times. I think you meant introduction. But yes. Oh, yeah, introduction. Sorry, you're right. And so, yeah, uh, Kenton makes his way out of the sand. And everybody's dead. There's, like, a ginormous field of people just, like, riddled with arrows and spears. And it's not great for him. It's like, with all this carnage and, like, spears and everything and bodies, I'm just like, wow, how are those tents still standing? Right? Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed looking at it the first time that it gets mentioned later, but the uh, the Christians apparently took all of their dead with them because every dead person you see is a Sandmaster. And he's trying to wrap his brain around what just happened and why. And he makes his way into a tent and passes out. And we cut back to Chris, who they're on day 47, almost out of water. Their guide is still looking very cheery, like, yeah, ahoy. And they come upon these tents from the other direction. And they're like, oh, they got to have water here, right? Let's go down there and oh, oh shit, that, that's a bunch of dead dudes. And one of the soldiers brings the sash and the guy recognizes the sash. It is a Sandmaster sash and he freaks out about it. It's, the guide starts to take off <laughs> uh, and quite possibly because they did not land in low sand. They landed in the area that belongs to that other culture, other religion. So this guy would be a member of that other religion that feels like sand mastery is a curse that the sand lord gave to these people. They yeah. don't like sand masters. And also, it's also very possible that he doesn't want to be 
scene next to a sandmaster in case he becomes guilty by association because that seems like the kind of thing that might happen yeah or it's entirely possible that he's like oh shit these are all dead sandmasters whatever killed them is real bad i'm gonna get out of here a lot, a lot of possibilities but it doesn't really matter because he starts to ride off and one of the soldiers just guns him down and bayon's just like you idiot and the guy's like i, I thought he led us into a trap and bayon takes his gun away that'll show him yeah, you can't go back to that guy that you hired uh, his nephew because uh, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. But they don't have enough water to make it back anyway, so it's it's not relevant. And Bayon and her have a con- Bayon and Chris have a conversation where he's like, you got to make a choice. You're the leader of the expedition. You brought us here. These are the things we can do. And I, I don't know. She seems to feel that like he's he's like mad at her or whatever. I don't know that I feel that it's he's just like this. I don't get that much emotion from him in general. He's stoic. I think that's the word I'm looking for. And then she's like, okay, check all the tents. There's got to be something useful around here. And then we get Kenton's perspective. It's like, she said, check all the tents. But I mean, I don't want to check this one. Why would this one be any different? And Beyonce is like, just do it, professor. Fine, fine. And we found out earlier that Kenton's mother was from Darkside. I didn't mention that. But somebody calls him a name. And if you looked at the glossary at the beginning, which Joe mentioned before we started, he's like, yeah, I skipped that. There's just like I tried to read it. There's just there's just so <laughs> much to try to wrap your brain around. There was a lot. But, yeah, I kind of figured that almost from the beginning, the first time you see him in the prologue, just because his skin is of a darker tone than the rest of them. Mm. So. so Kenton learned dynastic from his mom, who is dead now. But there, there's there's rumors that the Lord Maestral never fathered a decent sandmaster because of he his the, his wife polluted his bloodline or whatever so but they find this guy they find kenton in here and bayon is trying to lay out like what must have happened here and i like the professor's just like well i mean you know a lot about war that's what they pay you for right so and kenton thanks them for the water and the help in dynastic and then kind of tries to act like he doesn't speak dynastic but bayon has him it's like yeah you said thank you i know i know you know what what, what we're saying and Chris has her dramatic entrance. I love the panel where she walks in and she's just like, yeah, look at me. And I like, they're like, we're out of water. How do we find some water? And he's like, how can you be out of water? You're not even in the desert. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? Sun, sand, that, that's desert, right? It's like, no, I mean, what, did no one explain this to you? Okay, come on. And he shows them what we talked, what I mentioned earlier. Like you, you pour water on the sand, the vine comes up, you get water out of the vine. It's very convenient. And she's like, uh, yeah, our guide was trying to pour water on the sand earlier and I stopped him. Probably I should have let him do his job and not assumed that I knew more than him about what to do with water out here. Oh, also, I, I guess I didn't mention it, but their guards took off and abandoned them out here, which Bayon had encouraged her repeatedly to leave the soldiers behind because they sucked and were dumb. And in the end, he was proven correct, more or less. And so he's trying to get her to explain what she wants out here. And she says she's here to seek the sand mages. And mages is not a word that he is familiar with. So he tries to use context to be like, oh, it sounds like their word for royalty. And she reinforces this by being like, the sand mages rule low sand, right? He's like, oh, you mean the Taishin Council? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I can take you to them. I don't know if they'll talk to you, but they they get to a town a couple days later. They do some trading metal for uh, supplies and such, because apparently metal is valuable out here since it's all sand. There's not that much rock to mine metal out of. But word has already started to spread that the Sandmasters have been wiped out. Fortunately, this guy, this particular merchant, has seen some recently. So Kenton has reason to believe he's not the last. That's good. But there's also these soldiers walking around who would probably are, are some more of those Scar X guys who would probably be happy to murder him like th- they did all of his uh, his friends. So that's bad. 
Seems like they probably should have given him a change in clothes. Yeah, right. That is the only thing that really sticks out is like, hey, look, look at the Sandmaster. He's dressed exactly like a Sandmaster. They all dress the same. Yeah. But this merch. Take the stash off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even the rest of it is kind of uniform. Like they've got the special water skin on their back and all this other stuff. But the sash isn't helping. I agree. Yeah. Well, you know what? Just get a big coat and cover up. It's hot out here, but maybe uh, a robe, like a flowy robe, maybe. Yeah. Okay, and this merchant, uh, we, we're starting to get a little idea of the politics, which it'll go into a little more later, of uh, this the the nation that's not low sand. What's it called? Hold on. Let me go back to the map. So you got low sand where the sandmasters hang out and Kirsta, which, yeah, the Kirstians. Yeah, Kirsta. Okay. So we're getting a little idea about the the politics in Kirsta where uh, there's an election coming up and the Lord Merchant may actually lose this one, which hasn't happened in a while. And these warrior priest guys seem to be involved in that somehow. Yeah, the Merchant Daikin hasn't lost the kingship in centuries. The High Merchant should have nothing to worry about. But there's a new Akar who has the the leader of the religious sect or whatever, or Daikin in Kirsta is the Akar. And so he... uh, or she, whatever, has engineered the destruction of the Rykensha, the Sandmasters, and that may get them elected to the leadership. And here's th- this is where it becomes most obvious what was mentioned earlier, where the low sand or the the language here in in the day side is written in what I would think of normal text boxes with like white background, mm-hmm. black letters, and then the dark side language is has like blue boxes with like kind of bluish letters, purple letters. And so he starts explaining the politics like, yeah, like 200 years ago, the Christians and the Losandians stopped fighting for the first time ever because the merchant group took over and the merchants, they like trade. They want to make money. They don't want to fight. So it worked out for everybody. But now the Akar, the high priest, it looks like he may be uh, able to win the choosing when they pick a new king, basically. They're going to use a weird like mythical deer creature to pick the next king. Or? Yeah, sure. That sounds right. Uh, but it'll be like a zombie one pick the evil guy right it's gonna have like a weird carapace and you can't put water on it (laughs) and then kenton calls her chris which apparently no one does except for her former betrothed and so she's kind of like what excuse me also very familiar like you just you just met her don't don't do that yeah that's fair it's like someone calling me jay the first time i meet them or something it's like whoa back off i don't know you is that something people call you when they do know you yes interesting Not everyone. I mean, Dak's probably the closest to me and Dak doesn't call me Jay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, some some kid runs up and like picks Kenton's pocket and it pulls the sash out. And apparently, like as Jamie mentioned, the sash is the thing that makes everyone go, wait a second. That's one of those sand guys. Get him. Get him. I mean, they say get him, but it takes him a couple of days, apparently. Yeah. I mean, they don't actually say get him. It's just like all of their attention is drawn and the little pickpocket is so freaked out that he drops the purse and runs off. (laughs) <laughs> makes me think of uh the seventh harry potter movie where they're leaving uh the ministry and that guy's like it's it's harry it's harry potter <laughs> but i guess now that i think about it if if you pick somebody's pocket and then realize they were someone who could kill you with their brain essentially uh to do a river tam reference uh you might be like i'm sorry here take your purse back i'm out man yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, you're picking someone's pocket. You pull out the wallet. The guy's looking at you. So he's seen you do it. You open it up, and there's a CIA badge in there. It's like, oh, I've made a critical error. <laughs> yeah. Big mistake. 
Yeah. Oh man. Uh, no power in the verse can stop her. That's not good. <laughs> and so, yeah, we cut to two days later and Bayon only now notes that like, you've been looking over your shoulder a lot. Like, w- w- what are you worried about? And Kenton is like, I think probably at this point it's fine. It looks like they didn't follow us after all. And of course that's when dudes jump out of the sand. They, they literally seem to just jump out of the sand out of nowhere and like into the air and attack them. That every annoying like 90s uh, video game mook ever yes. that just like pop up out of the ground. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's literally like a video game where these guys just spawn. <laughs> Speaking of 90s video games, you remember Maximum Carnage? What a great game that was. That is a great game. Uh, Spider-Man one, thing? Yeah, probably yeah. The, the best Spider-Man game until uh, like the Spider-Man game came out for PlayStation 4. That was uh, great. Yeah, that one was good. I also enjoyed the PlayStation 1 two games that they made because they were like connected i haven't played many spider-man games actually yeah spider-man playstation 4 and you can get it you know remastered on 5 For already five, yeah, yeah it's uh it was good great game yeah I've, I've, I've heard that i i don't have a playstation so i couldn't right and then they came uh, out with the miles morales like thing and that was also great so it was good i i kind of didn't enjoy it quite as much because it was obviously a much smaller game yeah but it was still good well, I, I like the differences because in, in many ways, it's the same thing. You know, you're thwipping around the city, but the different play styles between the two Spider-Men, like they, they did that really well. I felt like it would be, it would be so easy to just reskin it and make him the same guy and fight exactly the same. Right. But uh, they they really built in some differences. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, uh, audience. Uh, well, hey, you guys, uh, you like Spider-Man? That's what we're talking about this week on the Sandra podcast. <laughs> You may have come here for White Sands, but, you know, have some Spider-Man and some Batman. We talked about Batman today as well. This chapter ends with this great moment where Kenton's like, okay, well, you want to mess with the Sandmaster with the shiny gold sash? Here we go. I'll show you what we can really do. And Oh, I can't. My, my powers don't work. Well, shit. And that's the end of the that, I didn't plan it that way, but that's a great place to stop, honestly. <laughs> the Avatar took away his sand bending. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was our uh, our first three chapters and prologue of, uh, of the first time we've done a graphic novel. Honestly, at this point, yeah. Brandon only has two graphic novels, and only one of them is Cosmere. So if we ever get to the other, it won't be for a very long time. Uh, but yeah, so let us move into predicaments. Where do we think this is going? What's going to happen uh, with Kenton and Chris and Bayon and the two professors whose names I've already forgotten? <laughs> mustache guy and non-mustache guy. Yeah, right. I don't really know where the overall story is going. I think it's a bit coincidental that Kenton's mum is a darksider who disappeared and Chris's fiance is also a darksider who disappeared somewhere. Yeah. I feel like those two characters are probably going to have to show up at some point. Maybe there's a connection there. I think it's fairly safe to say that like the merchant guy mentioned, oh, there are, I saw other Sandmasters who are still like alive and out there. It's like, well, that's got to be Dryle because... He, he he was clearly in on the attack, and he would have gotten the hell out of Dodge before. Maybe maybe it was his guys who were meant to be the guards, and that's how the the Kersjians uh, got in so easy. Yeah, but overall, I'm still not really sure. I feel like you know Chris's side of things, we're probably not going to see a lot of dark side in the politics. Like it's probably going to end on them going back to you know fight off the dynasty or something, or it could be just them just gone. Bugger, this entire planet screwed. Let's just get the fuck off it and <laughs> step into a perpendicularity. Because yeah, like no, there's no dark side map, and the only dark side we actually saw in the book was the prologue, which wasn't originally there. So I guess we're probably just not going to go back there, or we're definitely not going to see it at least. And I, I don't know what 
we're gonna where we're, where we're gonna go with day side story with the overall politics and stuff we'll just have to wait and see on all that there's some interesting little tidbits dropped about dark side and like what's going on there with not only the politics with the dynasty but like the magic that seems to exist because they mentioned like star something or other that he says don't work on the day side so he doesn't yeah. think sand master will work on the dark side or whatever but it's there's just these tantalizing little bits of information that I'm like, ooh, I want to see, I want to see what these things are that you keep talking about. Yeah. There's also the mention that it's like it used to be called Star Side, but now it's the Dynasty likes to call it Dark Side, so that's what they call it. Star is way prettier. Yeah. Now you've gone to the Dark Side, the evil side. Because <laughs> they're this? evil. Maybe they want to be that way. I don't know. In terms of predicaments. Mm, I don't know. I think it's too early. My brain is still just trying to process, you know, everything that we have read and gone through. I feel like Kenton, even if he's not the last one, he's probably going to take on that leadership role of anyone who happens to be left. They get to uh, Los Angeles. Maybe we'll be able to see who else survived if they survived and see what that looks like. But yeah, I, see, I do see him taking on a bit of a leadership role. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you've you've obviously got well, we know that Chris ends up um, planet hopping and and all that sort of stuff through the Cosmere. So whether this story is sort of how she started or then ties into a perpendicularity and other planets and stuff, I, I don't know. It's a bit. Bit early to tell yet, I think. Yeah, not much today. Sorry. I guess at least we can say that it's unlikely that Chris will die in this one. Well, it would be a bit weird. Maybe, maybe Chris <laughs> does die, and then someone else goes, "You know what? I'm gonna pretend to be you." And planet hops. Ooh. Um, Take up the mantle of Chris. Chris sounds Ooh, like a mantle of Chris. But yeah, it's it's a little bit early days. We're still trying to figure out the names of everybody at this sure. point. So I don't blame you for being like, yeah, I'm not sure what I can predict. Yeah, I, I'll reserve the right to make more predictions uh, after we read the next set of chapters. Okay, that's fair. All right. So, uh, yeah, let me see. Chris, you know, this she's a duchess at this point. I don't know that she's a duchess later on. Maybe she is, and that was just never said. So maybe part of my prediction is that either her country is going to be taken over or completely destroyed, or maybe the whole planet will be destroyed. It's possible. Maybe that's why she's not a duchess anymore. Mm. I think that the sand mages, which I think they make a reference to this in the story itself, that the sand mages she's looking for are actually Kenton's people. And he's kind of the last guy standing at this point. Yeah, agreed. And so that's that's a possibility that she's basically looking for him. Don't know what he's supposed to do for her. I'm not sure if she knows because the letter that she seemed to have from her betrothed didn't say a whole lot. And so that's a little concerning. I think that water that was passed around at the ceremony definitely was what caused their downfall. It in some way dehydrated them or drained them of their abilities very quickly. And so... I think that even though Kenton can't use his powers right now, maybe the effects of what that drink did will wear off and he will be able to use them eventually. But uh, for right now, he's going to kind of be stuck without them for a bit. But hey, as we know, he's he has prepared himself for that eventuality. You know, he's 
he's used other methods of taking care of himself for a very long time. And so I think that uh, he'll probably be he'll probably be okay with with uh, with that. So the other thing is, I think Dryle is definitely or Dial, whatever his name is, Delay. He's definitely behind. There's an R in there. Okay. He's definitely behind, you know, partially behind what's been going on. I think he's basically sold himself to the highest bidder in this war. And while Kenton had the idea that, that, you know, they have to be warriors to become, they have to, you know, become stronger again, become the warriors that they need to be. I think maybe Dryle's doing the same thing, but from the other end of the spectrum, it's like, yeah, we're not what we should be. We should be ruling this planet. And so I think maybe that's his goal is to get, you know, sand, the sand masters that are in his court to become the rulers over, uh, over at least the, the day side. And so I'm interested to see what kind of what that what shape that's going to take, how quickly we're going to reunite with with uh, with Drow or with what he's what's going on with him. Or maybe he's uh, maybe that's something that's going on in the shadows. I don't know. Overall, I think that there's going to be some kind of crazy uh, magic that they're going to have to discover together both day side and night side working together in order to do that. I think that's maybe where we're headed, but uh, yeah, I, I can't think of another name, uh, another way that sand mage could apply, which I know, you know, we've, we've discussed this in the lost metal to, to people who don't have that same power. It looks like what you're doing is magic. So it's like, you know, to, to um, shy her, her powers to, uh, Marisy look like magic, so it could be very easily said that maybe the the night side people think that these sand people are magic, but really it's the same same difference. If they saw the twilight magic or whatever it's called, then then yeah. So uh, that's all I got. I it's interesting that you point out that it's like in the future when we've met Chris, she doesn't be like, hey, I'm a duchess. Uh, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe she doesn't have a country or a planet anymore. I feel like even yeah. if I if if I was a duke of something, even if it was gone, I'd be like, yeah, I'm. It's it's like that uh, the character I played in that campaign that you ran where he, oh yeah he was a con man pretending to be a duke but he 100% never missed an opportunity to be like I am the duke of such and such respect me <laughs> yeah well I mean sure I don't feel like Chris's personality is quite quite the same yeah, as that true. and I feel like if she still was going around calling herself duchess then maybe that guy that she's running around with who makes the maps and stuff would have called her that like in passing or something, mm, you know, like don't talk to the Duchess that way or something like that. You know, something along those lines. If you go to another planet and you say you're a Duchess, somebody's like Duchess of what? Like I, I would know yeah. all of the Dukes and Duchesses around here. Right. Of course, in Skadrial, no, I don't he... think, yeah, in Skadrial, I don't think Duchess was like a term they used. It was lords no, yeah. and ladies. So, so yeah. Yeah. It, you, you also mentioned that, uh, Kenton is well suited if he doesn't have his sand powers to, you know, take care of himself in other ways. And my first thought was definitely more so than any of the other sand masters that we met, because all, yes. all of them had like this disdain for doing anything not like sand mastery. Yeah. Which, you know, again, kind of their downfall. It's like a little bit. I think, you know, seeing that they had to use their powers to fight is what made them all fall way before him. Because he says, like at the very beginning, it's like using one strand doesn't take up nearly as much water mm -hmm. as using a bunch at one time. And so he's able to use his power sparingly and use the sword more so that he can last much longer in combat than other people can. Yep. 
Yep, his his uh, handicap is what probably helped him not die. Right. Yeah, he's out. gonna he's gonna fly into battle and be like, "I'm Mary Poppins, y'all," and then like, <laughs> sh- shoot his one sand arrow at people. It'll be fine. All right. Okay, we have. Uh, I'm gonna do. We have a bunch of emails, but uh, I think I'm just gonna do a couple of them here. And we also have. We'll start with the the new patrons. We have two new patrons. So we got two people who joined our Patreon at the ska level. The first one is Adam. Adam. Let me pull up my fairing list, Adam. I always have to pull it up. Adam, you're a spinner. You store fortune using that chromium. Nice, nice. Our other, our our, our second new patron at the ska level is Vapor Snake. Vapor Snake. Yep. Okay. Vapor Snake. Just by like that name, I'm gonna make you a gasper. You store breath. Mm. Using that cadmium. Using that vapor snaking. Yep, gotcha. vapor snake. <laughs> You're like, so wait, vapor snake. If we pour water on you, do you like bleed gas or like how does that work? <laughs> uh, so yes, thank you, patrons. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you wanting to support the show at uh, whatever level. You join up at that's why all the levels have the same benefits except for the uh, the highest level. If you pledge as a shard, you get the one additional benefit of getting a special color and category on the Discord, which is just it's, it's worth it's priceless, honestly. So uh, you know we yeah. have that's me... the kind of BS you get from us here at the yeah exactly level. that's one hundred percent. So okay, emails. I'll start with the stuff from last time. We have one from. Cowstube, which I that's uh they were a new fairing last time. Uh so they also sent us an, an email. Or I'm sorry, it actually tells me in here how to pronounce it. Address me as Koss rhymes with cross. Okay, Koss. Gotcha. Yep. They say longtime listener, first time writer. Greeting Sander Lance crew, long email alert. I discovered your podcast several months ago and have been steadily listening all the way through. Thanks to the podcast, I finally read Elantris, The Emperor's Soul, and Sixth of the Dusk. I absolutely love my journey so far. I just finished Bands of Morning, and I'm nearly finished listening to your coverage of it. I just read the prologue to The Lost Metal, and I know you're way further in the book than I am, but wanted to share some thoughts anyway. As a first-time reader of Era 2, I feel like Dak's frustration with Wayne is a little too extreme. Sure, he would be a very irritating guy to be friends with in person, but my reading of him has consistently made me feel like he isn't being an asshole. His mind just doesn't work the same as others. His trading is never based solely on wanting expensive things, for example, ignoring the golden candelabra and taking the lace doily underneath. I think he doesn't want to steal, but he doesn't understand value of objects the way other people do. Uh, sorry, I had to pause and think about yeah. that for a second. Did, did I ever say it was because he wanted expensive things? I don't think I did. No. No, I think he's just he's making he's making an observation about one behavior that is annoying about Wayne. I but I think Dak, correct me if I'm wrong, your annoyance with him is how he treats people, not necessarily, you know, the the thief thing. While that is bad, I don't know that that's been your main like beef with him. Uh the thief the thief thing was um that that was that was a factor, but it was like it was more just to yeah, it was more just to do the fact that he would constantly do this stuff to wax and like wax never once called him. So like it's actually really callous of you to do this with possessions that aren't yours. Mm. But yeah, it's like it's the fact that he generally just like he treats his friends pretty poorly and did right up until the end, as I pointed out in our last episode of the Lost Metal. Like right, with the letter to Mar- about Marisai. Yeah. yeah, some of the stuff he does to his friends just seems really cruel and unfair to them. But Anyway, I've talked about this enough. I feel like people are, like, as evidenced by this email, people are sick of it, so. 
Let's see. Uh, well, you know, it's it's the same thing with me and Spook. Like it's that's uh, funny though. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's these characters that like why like you know everybody's different. Everybody has a different way of looking at things. It's like I look at Spook and I'm like, how can people like him? He's awful. <laughs> and so yeah. like you know it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. We've probably done enough. But okay, so continuing on, uh, af- after having read the prologue to The Lost Metal, I feel even more sympathetic. To have lost both parents at age 11 and be in abject poverty, I can understand why he is the way he is. Granted, he could try to be kinder, for example, to Steris, and I don't think he's a paragon of virtue. I just think there's a little more to it than just declaring Wayne a bad person without considering that his mind doesn't work like others. I don't I know if Mr. I never said he was straight up a bad person. I think I even said at one point, like, I don't hate the guy. And yes, there are certainly sympathetic things about him. The problem is the things I don't like about him are the ones that seem to always keep coming to the forefront. Mm. I don't know if Mr. Brandon, Mr. Sanderson wrote the chapter with that intention, but that's how I've been reading it. Sorry for the long paragraph, writing this late at night and just letting my thoughts flow. P.S. I know my name can be hard to pronounce for you, so you can call me Koss, Rhymes with Cross. Wasing to the time of next, P.P.S., the possum hunters are my favorite bit from the show. 100 out of 10. Oh, well, have we got some Patreon content that may be coming out yeah. for you? Eventually, yes. <laughs> I just just as I was getting done editing all of the uh, tress of the Emerald Sea and getting those ready to go. Now I have to start recording the new book, The Frugal Wizard's Guide to Surviving Medieval England, which I'm having a little trouble getting through. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's just uh, – the main story is not interesting me nearly as much as like they ha- they did some art in the margins that uh, not on every page or anything, but like that pops up now and then. And it's like a, a, a different like comedic story being told in the margins with the art. And I'm in love with that. Like, I'm like, I want to re- I want to just read a whole comic of this little guy. It's hilarious. The main story I'm not uh, I'm not loving as much, but I'm only like a third of the way through it. So anyway, the next person or the next email we have is. From actually, hold on. Is this person also? Yeah, this is Adam that we just gave a misting or a, a rather a fairing name to also sent us an email. So two people who became patrons and sent us an email at roughly the same time. This uh, Adam, the title of this email is Lost Metal Wrap Up Thoughts. Congratulations, Sander Lynch crew on finishing the currently released Mistborn series. It's hard to believe you've made it all the way through after so long. I just wanted to write in and share my thoughts on the Lost Metal and Era 2 as a whole. And fair warning, the email is mostly negative, despite my general enjoyment of the book. My overall feelings about the book is that there are parts that I really like, but on the whole, it doesn't click for me. Some other people have described it as less than the sum of its parts, and I think I agree. There are really cool moments like the ghost blood stuff for Wayne or the Wayne and Harmony conversation at the end. But the story as a whole doesn't work for me. I think part of it is that it feels less like the final book of a series and more like a hook for future books. There are a bunch of plot threads left open. The bands, for instance, pretty much everything with the Southerners, what Kelsier has been up to, with no resolution, basically wait for Era 3 to find out more. In direct contrast to Era 1, which, while allowing for future stories, pretty definitively ended the story it was telling. Maybe I had the wrong expectations, but I feel the book marketed as the end of a series. It didn't have a satisfying conclusion. I'm going to pause there. I see where he's coming from. I don't know that I agree. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm not sure I agree. As I mean, we talked last time about how it's like it's a much more character-focused story than the previous one was. The previous one was about the world, and 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 this one was about the characters. I think from a character basis, the story ended in quite a satisfying place. Maybe not necessarily for the world, but we weren't focused on the world so much this time. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think I think that's the way I was seeing it too, and I just I couldn't put it into words like you did. That's yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I understand frustration with not getting certain parts of the story wrapped up. Totally agree. I had the same problem with the end of the first Mistborn era. There were several things that weren't addressed that I was kind of like, ugh. But because of, which I know you're this per, this person writing this email is kind of criticizing it, but because of the extra world building stuff that's coming in from the different parts of the Cosmere, I feel like it's an easy bridge to go read something else that will address it in the future. You know, so if, if what I'm expecting is, hey, these things that I didn't get answers to, now that I know that there's a more clear intention of mixing stories, that I'm I'm looking forward to possibly getting those answers in the next era or in another work that ties in to Skadriel. So mm. because of the amount of mixture that happened in this book, I feel like it's it's basically expanded my expectations for what could be coming. Because before everything that we read was so in its own, you know, not to be punny but in its own world because it was mm -hmm. it was contained self-contained in its own little area that I, I didn't know that it was going to be possible for us to get answers to these things but now it feels much more possible especially after going to the convention which you know like we've talked about several times it was a great time hearing brandon talk about it and his excitement for the future of what he's working on i feel pretty confident that we're going to get something pretty good and possibly answers to to questions that are left open so what about you, Jamie? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from our wrap-up episode, I think we were all pretty satisfied with the book. I know I know, I was like, yeah, there's definitely things that have been left open, but like Joe said, it's, it's not unachievable to get those answers now. I, I do agree that some of it felt a bit of a build-up to the next era or something else that's going to happen in the Cosmere. It was definitely... While it ended the story for our characters, just like like Dak was saying, which it was so character driven, it it wrapped up that story quite nicely. But yeah, there's you could not put a lid on every everything that we had read about. I think I'm glad that stuff that came up earlier in the series was addressed. But yeah, things like the bands, yeah, they're not resolved. But I don't feel like I've been robbed of getting answers ask me again when we get to the end of the costume if we don't have an answer to that question because then i'd be annoyed <laughs> no, that's that's fair yeah if we get to the end of the cosmere and never get the answers then that would be annoying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how much of how we read it though makes a difference in how we feel i mean this is something that you could possibly answer data i don't know but why we cover so much of it in depth that what one person misses perhaps someone else has picked up on mm. and then Kind of factor that in as we're going it's like we haven't had a chance to read through it and make up our own minds and opinions like yes we're making up our own minds but we're we're discussing it every five six chapters so by the time we get to the end you might be already considering something that someone else has talked about whereas if you had read that on your own maybe you'd never picked up on it that's a really good point and not just that all of that's probably the main but you also have me here to be like and here's like a, a theory that other people have postulated that I'll throw out now because it's relevant now instead of you reading the whole book and then you go out and read online. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it probably yeah. is a really different way to experience it than generally people get. And I know we've touched on this in the past, but how would you say that that doing the show and hearing us go through these books for the first time? How has that kind of maybe changed the way you've looked at some of these books? 
I mean, I think it, it's given me a much better appreciation for how well he does foreshadowing that you guys can pick up on some big twists way before they happen because I just speed through it so fast that I don't pick up on the foreshadowing. And also, like, hearing you guys' opinions on stuff like Spook, like, I never really thought about Spook that much, honestly. He was he just wasn't the most interesting of the characters, and so it just... Uh, I, I didn't consider his actions in depth that much. And then you were bringing up like, look at how creepy this is. I'm like, you know what? He's right. That is creepy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely changes some stuff. And then I've probably contaminated you guys because you even mentioned like you weren't thinking about the negatives of Wayne until I brought up. Some people have an issue with some of the stuff that Wayne is doing. And you're like, yeah, he is. But like my first time through, I, I never noticed anything no. really real negative about Wayne. I'm going to say I actually think um i don't even remember you bringing that up like the, the, i remember the moment my opinion of wayne started to turn was when he was just giving steris for absolutely no reason giving steris shit for absolutely no reason mm. in the second book and we're just like hang on a minute and then all of a sudden like once once i had that critical look of his behavior there it spread to other aspects and things that he was doing You're like wait a second we kind of like steris in book two you back off yeah yeah book one steris nobody was all that impressed by but yeah. at the end we were yeah, I was well, at the say, end. there's That's definitely fair. a turn yeah. at the end where where he rescues her and, you know, it's exciting for her. And, you know, we're like, oh, maybe she's not so bad. Yeah. She, well, and she's yeah. got that moment where she's like, look, I don't I can't I don't really know how to express these things normally, but just I want to let you know how grateful I am. And I think yeah. that's when it was like, oh, OK, she's just she, kind of different. She just gets. Yeah, she gets a moment to pull her heart out and we're just like, oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we felt bad for making all those jokes at her expense at the start of the book. Yeah. All right. So back to your email, Adam. <laughs> He's looking back at the series as a whole, I feel like the set really gets done dirty by the Lost Metal. For a secret organization supposedly pulling all the strings across the basin, by the end of this book, they're minor antagonists who fall apart very quickly compared to what they've been built up as. Telson in particular feels like a missed opportunity since we see very little of her actually being a big bad, as that role is usurped by autonomy and she's discarded by the plot. Uh, yeah, compared- I think we touched on that. Yeah, oh, we talked I about was, that. Yeah, we, I think we touched on that. It's like Telson's just kind of dead. I think at that point though like what i feel like really that turn really happens when ed warren dies yeah when he dies it's like okay well the set is not as big and bad or as big of a thing as we thought it was because there's somebody else pulling the strings behind all this well and there's also i mean there's the fact that the set has like hundreds of fully outfitted soldiers which would be real intimidating in this world where there's not much of a military in general except that we don't see much of that because it's glossed over with wax murders every single one of them. And it's it's building up how badass wax is, but at the same time it kind of wharfs the the sets yeah, army. That's true. You you can't say that that battle in the building at the end in the Lost Metal where he's getting up to Telson, you can't say that they weren't intimidating. It's yeah. just that wax is so powerful at that point that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Compared to Ed Warren, she doesn't have much time to be an antagonist, and as a result, a lot of her characterization is delivered as exposition. I feel like there's a lot of potential with Telson being Wax's sister to have an interesting character exploration, but instead it's just she's ambitious and manipulative and has been since childhood, and she thinks she knows Wax, but she's wrong now. It just feels like a waste of what could have been a really interesting hero-villain dynamic. I'll agree with that, but once again, there just I, yeah, there wasn't time. Yeah, I, I think... I think what I try to remember this as, because because the book makes such a, a point of it over and over, is that this is this is Wax's story, not Telson's story. It's mm. it's really Wax and Wayne's story. So all of the Telson stuff is from his perspective for the most part, because that's who's important to the story. It's not it's not about creating an 
cool, awesome villain. It's about Wax dealing with who he thought his sister was, who his sister actually is, and what is he going to do about it? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't stop me from feeling like she's a little lackluster as a bad guy, but you're not wrong. Yeah. Also, as a more minor nitpick, I don't think the book should have been called The Lost Metal, since that doesn't really have anything to do with the main plot of the story. We've been dealing with that since, like, we got through almost all of Well of Ascension before the Well of Ascension pops up. And the whole time, I think Dak especially was like, where's the well? Where's the well? It's called the Well of Ascension. What is going on here? But again, like, that also might be, like, an expectation we planted in our own heads. Because we were under the impression the Well of Ascension was so far away, so they would have to leave Luthadel to go find it. When it turns out the well was underneath Luthadel the whole time, it's like the title actually makes a lot more sense. It was right there. That's true. That's, that's yeah, again, that's one of those things where we had an expectation, we built it up in our heads, and turned out we were on the wrong track from the start. So, like, that's, I wouldn't call that one Brandon's fault. You could almost say the same thing about The Lost Metal, though. If it refers to Lorassium, like, Lorassium is in Wax's pocket for the whole book, and then is the integral turning point to let Wayne save the day at the end. Yep. Yeah. Also, in addition, I feel like Alloy of Law isn't a super great title for that book, but the book is very good. Hmm. Yeah, I think it comes from like basically one kind of internal monologue Wax has about making an alloy of the way that you do things. But yeah. Uh, Okay. sorry. Finally, I wanted to give my thoughts on Wayne's character since I wrote in several months ago and bashed him pretty hard. I like that Brandon addresses a lot of Wayne's flaws in this book and really delves into his psychology. It did make me like him more. And did some to redeem his shittier moments, all Riandri in particular. But I still feel like my main issue with Wayne went unresolved. For me, a lot of Wayne's flaws have to do with his inability to consider other people and their feelings. His character arc in this book, which I thought was well done, was about forgiving himself and moving beyond the mistakes of his youth. But he still acts in a flippant and egocentric manner, doing all the same immature jokes and trading as before. Don't get me wrong, he's definitely a better person at the end, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that I fully come around on him. Sorry for the negativity, but I want to put my thoughts out there. I still enjoyed the book, just not as much as I'd hoped. That's all for me. Looking forward to more Cosmere, Adam. Yeah, I'd say I'd agree with that. But at the same time, I feel like that makes Wayne more three-dimensional. Like if we had a character that completely did like a 360 in his personality and he changed and he was better and he stopped doing all those things he used to do. Like that, that's, that's nice. It's pretty. It's not realistic. Hmm. Okay, one more real quick one, because we're running uh, longer than I'd like to on this one, but uh, so I'll leave the others for next time. But we have one from Krista that is very short. It says, there's no subject. To answer Joe's question about where he's heard goddamn heroes, is that not Mass Effect? Also, really enjoyed the episodes, and I hope you like the remaining epilogues and whatever book you move on to next. To answer your query, it is Mass Effect. It's um, it's said by a, a mercenary character that's actually DLC in the original Mass Effect 2 game, when they did Mass Effect Legendary, of course, they included all that stuff in with the game. I don't remember the mercenary's name, but the voice actor that plays him is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it was we we, we hit that line. And you were like, wait, I've, I, I know that from somewhere other than like Serenity. And uh, so she was trying to help you out. Yep. OK, so for next time, we're going to read three more chapters, which will get us to the end of the first of the three books of the original release so we're gonna read four five and six however i would also like you guys you're gonna make a side trip here after you read those three chapters i want you to go back over to arcanum unbounded and in arcanum unbounded you are going to read the essay entitled the taldane system Ooh, we're gonna get some Uh, background on the planet huh 
It's about halfway. It is 53% of the way through Arcanum Unbounded. So you could probably open the middle and basically hit it. And uh, we'll get a little bit of information. And remember, Chris wrote these. So we're getting information about the system, her system, from her perspective. And it's it's not a real long bit. It's just a couple pages. Yep. So four through six and the Taldane system essay for next time. If you'd like to send us emails like those folks did, the address is thesandralanch at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Patreon, where I think there's only two episodes left to go up of Tress of the Emerald Sea, my reading that for the first time. And then immediately after that, we'll start we'll start putting out the Frugal Wizard's Guide to Surviving Medieval England. I Every episode, I'm like, I got to find a way to shorten that, and I haven't found a good way yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that is not <laughs> as long chapter-wise. I think they're going to end up being, like, 10 or 12 episodes as opposed to the, like, 20-some-odd episodes of Tress that there were. So that should finish a lot quicker. Other than that, Music by Miracle of Sound. As we said, this one is the, the song that he did based on Dune called Soul of Sand, which, yeah, it's hard to say that's not appropriate for the book called White Sand. So uh hope you guys are enjoying this. I hope that if those of you who don't have access to the comics are – Reading the prose version or at least able to follow along with uh, my recounting what's going on. And who knows? Maybe you guys will listen and be like, hey, this sounds so cool. I want to go out and buy the uh, the comic. So you're welcome, Brandon, for uh, <laughs> clearly we're going to be the, the, the turning point <laughs> that just makes this comic take off. <laughs> Either that or our listenership's going to drop like 200 people. Yeah, <laughs> no one's going to listen to these episodes. It's fine. The That that just means that you, those of you hearing this right now, you're the hardcore followers of the show and we appreciate you all the more for that reason so three chapters plus that essay for next time and was to the time of next hold on the desert has